Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website, located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community, because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, We're joined today by Rachel Trobman, who is the founder and CEO of Upside Health, which created the pain management app ouchie. It's an awesome app you guys should all check out. Um, Rachel lives with mixed connective tissue disease, and she also has invisible illness in her family. Her mother has lupus SLE, and her brother has cystic fibrosis. Um, So Rachel, when and how did you first realize that you were sick? So um, towards the end of high school, I was feeling tired all the time, and I was having all sorts of stomach issues. Like gross stomach issues that like when you're in high school feel embarrassing and I was anxious a lot. And I went to a gastroenterologist who gave me a colonoscopy at 17, which is super fun and really sexy at 17 Wow! to like go through it. And they found that I had unspecified colitis, just like all sorts of inflammation in my colon. Um, and I was put on medicine uh, and we kind of thought that was that. Um, and then in the beginning of college, my freshman year of college, I was having some of those problems again and I had another colonoscopy. It showed up again, but they're like, nope, it's not ulcerative colitis. Um, mm. And they ran all like more panels and they were like, there's some sort of like, it's something autoimmune going on. Um, but I was at a really big advantage in that my mom has lupus and my mom not only has lupus, my mom has like is put together when she was younger an incredible care team who right. uh, are like super incredible looking at labs. And so they ran like the full gamut and they were like, oh yeah, no, there's something, there's something mm-hmm. here. That's um, really lucky that you had that team behind you. Um, and so I, and I also really lucky that I was in college in, at NYU at the time. So I'd ask the best medical professionals or the most like advanced medical professionals that exist. And so I was connected to uh, the team at the hospital for special surgery and this Dr. Um, Jem, 
as I like to call him. His name is Dr. <laughs> Mike, Dr. Michael Lockshin. Um, and he is known, he's like written books about being a patient advocate. Oh, wow. A clinician patient advocate. Um, and he, from like day one, he was like, I don't care what these labs say. I'm mm-hmm. treating you for the symptoms that I see. I see oh, with my terrible. own eyes that like your joints are inflamed. I see with my own eyes that you have like a weird inflammation in your eardrum, like mm. those kinds of things. Um, and they, they found, you know, eventually they came up with this diagnosis that kind of alternates between mixed connective tissue disease or unspecified connective tissue disease, depending on like how my labs come back any particular time. And um, you've explained a little bit about what your symptoms are. Can you tell us specifically, specific to those diagnoses, how your symptoms fit into um, these particular diagnoses? Yeah. So, I mean, with inflammatory connective tissue diseases, a lot of times they're joint-based, right? So, you know, the, the fatigue, the inflammation in joints, um, the inflammation in like random places. So like like in your chest, Mm. Um, it could be inflammation around organs, but like, thankfully that's not really much of what I've gotten. Um, more of what I experience is kind of like on the cusp of a lot of various autoimmune diseases. So for instance, I, um, get symptoms that are really similar to Sjogren's. So I had to have like plugs put into my eyes. Now, what do you mean plugs? Yeah, I know it's crazy. They put these little plugs into your tear ducts so that your eyes more lubrication. So they're not more lubrication, so they're not like so dried out all the time because my eyes would just be like like no, dry, eye drops wouldn't do anything. Yeah, um, or like I would when I was pregnant, like I had really, really, really low like anemic level clotting factors. Mm. Um. I'm like at a predisposed risk of like hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism because I have antibodies against my thyroid that when they've done like a full panel, but they're not active. So it's kind of, yeah, it's so, it's just one of those things where like, it's, I kind of live on this verge of like when something happens in my body and it's normally inflammatory, I can either wait and eventually it will resolve itself. Mm. Or like go on a dose of steroids. Um, but they treat it um, in kind of interestingly similar to the way that my mom has been treated with lupus where I take Plaquenil, mm. which... Oh, interesting. Um, okay. So I don't know if Plaquenil has come up in any of your other it has. Um, yeah. interviews, but Plaquenil is like the craziest drug in that it's an yeah. anti-malarial. Yes, I know. It's anti-malarial. So but, um, and that's like kind of kept my thankfully like big things in check, but it's just always a series of like, whenever I get a test done, it's like never normal, but it's like my normal, but it's never like thankfully alarming enough. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, just like pain and discomfort, um, fatigue. Well, and you, you talked about taking Plaquenil. Are there other steps that you've taken maybe like holistically to control your health, like changing diet and lifestyle as well? I mean, there are things that I've noticed that when I do them, they make a big Mm. difference. Um, Like when I exercise regularly, um, when I take care of myself, massage therapy kind of does a big thing for me. Mindfulness Mm. meditation has made a big impact 
for me, yeah. um, pushing myself into social situations, um, you know, makes a big impact. And that's, that's got to cover the psychological side of it too, right? Yeah. Because we're talking about obviously physical symptoms, but the psychological side effects for so many of us, particularly with illnesses that people can't see, but we can feel is mm-hmm. that it brings on depression and that's aided very easily by isolation. So pushing yourself into those social situations gets you out. Well, of- I also, I also think something that's really interesting is that like a lot of these connective tissue diseases or even rheumatologic conditions um, mm-hmm. are so poorly understood by most of the health system um, just because they're so new. Like they have, there's, they yeah. haven't been studied to the degree that others have been studied. Um, and there isn't the same degree of funding even to study them and understand them. And so with a lack of understanding, there's also a lack of compassion and also a lack of like, there are things I can do for you. And that frustration on both sides, I think really builds it up. So for me, finding, um, care providers that understand really is part of the care that I get, if that makes sense. Um, I had, um, one of the things that was really interesting is that in addition to the connective tissue disease in my early twenties to completely separately, I started having panic attacks and panic attacks are like the most invisible of like all invisible illnesses. Um, because until you've had one, you do not understand. Like it is the most indescribable thing that yeah. you, it's like, a huge you, wave. It's like a tsunami that happens and you can't control it. And it's not brought on by anything anxiety driven. So it's not like if I was less stressed out, I wouldn't have had a panic attack. Right. right. So it's not something that anyone can relate to, but also because it's so physical in mm-hmm. all of it. It's like if you were to go to a hospital with a panic attack, you would have a lot of symptoms that a heart attack yeah. patient was having. Um, and if they were to like run scans on you, at least initially, they would be thinking, oh, this person might be having a heart attack. It's not until they do go further. And so um, I, I think that, um, and I had an, an incident recently too with like a, a medical provider where they were mm-hmm. like, honey, you just need to calm down. Oh, that's no. <laughs> right. And, but it was a perfect example of like this, it's still so new or not, you know, it's not, it's not known. What, it's not. Well, it's interesting new. that you, you're actually sort of practicing ca- compassion toward that healthcare provider, because I would just be like, no, get out of here. You're condescending. I'm not talking to you, but you're actually looking at it from the perspective of like the system isn't really built to support healthcare providers in diagnosis sometimes. Yeah. I feel like at the time internally, I was not that compassionate. Yeah. <laughs> it was more of like crazy. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah. no way. But, but like from a place of compassion, understanding, like you can only do as good as the resources that you've been exposed to. Um, but I think that's part of, in terms of other like self carry things, um, or like things that I've found that work for me. Um, a lot of them is just living in the moment. So I, helps with, sure. right. But I, not even that, like from a reflection, I, I remember when I first, um, got my first job out of college. Mm. Um, and I remember that when I was in college, like in order to survive well, like I'd have to take a nap in the middle of the day, just had to. Um, and then I was fine. Like you would not have known the difference, but like I had to nap my body just, and it wasn't even like a, like, oh, a little nap. It was like a, my whole entire body 
shut down. You did that rest, yeah. And was um, this, at this point, you'd been diagnosed as well? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'd been diagnosed, but that didn't... Since you were about 17, 18? Since I was diagnosed probably like in my early 20s. Okay. Um, but this was like my first real job. Mm-hmm. And in college, I kind of felt like it was okay, although I felt guilty for it. Um, but in... Um, in like the professional world, I was like, well, this isn't going to work. How am I even going to do like, you can't take naps. Yeah. And this is like, you know, these are corporate jobs. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I even remember telling my doctor and then I did it like just Mm -hmm. every single day and I was okay. And my body pushed through. Yeah. But I don't know, for some reason, like it just became the routine without it. Now that didn't, and then I'd have to find other ways to take care of my body. Um, and I think that's become even more, important now that I have like two kids. I guess I found other ways, but now like with two kids, like that's totally off limits, but you, (laughs) um, I think you like, feel like you are stronger than you think you are. Like you, sometimes you put, you put more limits on yourself just out of fear. Like I was scared because of what the way I had to take care of my body then, but I wasn't going to be able to do what I wanted to do. And I remember some, something that I like took on my next job and I was like, well, I don't know how I'm going to, you said the same thing about your last job and you did it. Yeah. Like I was going to have kids and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do it with like kids. I can't take a nap. And then I did it. Yeah. Um, so I, that's what I mean by like, like not worrying about some of like, not worrying about the limitations. Mm. Just and really focusing on yeah, and focusing on on really um, what you want to do with your life and purpose, mm-hmm. and so that using that as the impetus to really move forward with your life rather than being stuck in the sort of feedback loop of like I'm disabled. Yeah, well, and also like just trying it, yeah. right? Like, I mean, I tr- I tried, and it, my body actually was able to handle yeah. it. Right. But and then, then that raises the question of long term, like if you had stayed, you know, in news production, right? Like mm-hmm. if you had stayed in that world, would you have been able to sustain that through your 30s and onward? You know, now you've got your own company. So I'm sure you're much more, well, I would say much more in control of your schedule, but it probably means you're even busier. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's my schedule, but it gets filled up much more cl- quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's much more, I'm under much more stress now than I ever was before, but yes, it comes to the question of like sustainability. Um, but then finding things that work like in this new schedule, like sometimes if I feel like I'm burning the bridge, I will drop my kids off at school. I will go right. to sleep for an hour mm-hmm. and then I will take the next train into the city. Yeah. So you're really but, listening to your body for the, the cues. I have to, I mean, that's the thing is like, I have to. And when I don't, that's when everything when the shit back. And then I don't, then I don't have the, I don't have the chance to choose. Right? right. Like when, when you live with a chronic condition, there are certain choices that you can make. And if you make them a lot of times, then you can get some control. Mm. Yeah. You understand yeah. the patterns. Yeah. 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 Now, um, you mentioned being pregnant. Did pregnancy affect your your journey through this as well? Like, did you have flare-ups during pregnancy? Did the hormonal changes affect you? No, no, actually. I felt, and this is like a, a lupus and mixed connective tissue thing, but many women feel much better. 
Well, that's what I've heard of lupus for sure. Yeah. 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 And so mine was pretty similar in that I felt really good. Uh, Well, not really good. I hated being pregnant. Hated everything about being pregnant. So let me it be clear. It's not like those girls, though. <laughs> yeah, I uh, know. I, I hated being pregnant, um, and my body hurt all the time. But it had nothing to do with. It was like a very different type of pain. It's more of just like yeah. I'm a small person, and I was like <laughs> putting on more weight than I ever in my entire life. Um, so that was not fun. Um, but there, there were like it was just more high risk. I was like, you know, so instead of being, you know, even when I was, I was under 30, a little under 30 when I was pregnant with my first daughter, um, I wouldn't have been considered high risk at that time. And you would have looked at me and you would have been like, why why is she like going to high risk? But instead I had to go to the doctor once a week. Mm. for a while I had because you had your team in place and and that was the thing. And that was what was so hard when I moved and I had to find a new doctor and I was like, <gasps> like that anxiety. I don't, I don't know if you've ever felt this. I'm sure you have because you've moved like across the country yeah. and around the world. But like yeah. that, that anxiety of moving to a new place is not just like, where am I going to live? But like, am I going to find a care team mm-hmm. to who understands it? Who gets who understands? it? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I imagine that something like unspecified or mixed connective tissue disease is also, um, I mean, we've talked about a lot of these um, conditions flying under the radar, but that's one that like I hadn't even heard of, you know? So, um, I imagine it's well, even, it even sounds, it sounds like not even real. Like it <laughs> sounds like, and it, and like, I feel like the unspecific connective tissue is exactly not real. It's like, we do not know how to diagnose you. Yeah. But there it's is medical speaker, we don't know, but you're an ouchie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we don't, we don't know, but you've had enough little markers here yeah. that aren't right that yeah. like we can claim that this is some sort of I don't mean which sometimes makes me feel bad like like being in some ways like a spokesperson for people <laughs> with chronic conditions because I'm like I'm even like I'm even borderline still living with, with chronic pain and you have to yes. that and manage your symptoms yes. like, you know, you've started not giving yourself enough credit for the fact that like you have a strong body and you can push through it but you still do get these symptoms so you have to be more careful than your average yeah. person yeah yeah and it's so easy to forget it is so yeah. easy to forget and well especially when you're doing well now you you did mention earlier that like your mom already had a care team in place so that was already a huge help to you when you started feeling your symptoms um but aside from that team and Dr. Jim, um, mm-hmm. did you find that you needed a personal advocate at any point in your journey to, to figuring out what was going on? And, and if so, how has that changed your relationship with that person or people? So I think one thing was, so uh, Dr. Lockston, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. was, was kind of that advocate. I, what I found is that I couldn't rely on primary care providers, which is kind of mm-hmm. crappy. Like I, I'll, I would just go to my rheumatologist for things right. because my rheumatologist took a whole list, like would be the one to know if like the thing that I was experiencing was connected at all, or right. if I should go to a gastroenterologist. Like it was my, it was like my triage person. Right. Um, and that's hard because I was putting a lot of pressure on a rheumatologist, you know, and there were certain, like they would sometimes um, would say like, I don't even remember what, like, I don't even remember what this is. Like, 
because it's so wow, you know, so primary, not so primary, but like it's they don't see that. Yeah, on a rheumatology well, looking really for right. It's like, but for me, that was like the way that I dealt with. It's like how I felt comfortable was like having that person as my mm-hmm. advocate. Um, my mom was a little bit of an advocate or like a touch point with something. Yeah. Um, which was really great. Um, and then what happened was, and this is like my, um, my rheumatologist decided to retire, but oh, thank, which was like a very scary and scary. moment for me because he was the only person, like I said, like he would, and he was an older gentleman yet. Like he would be like, send me a picture of that rash uh, when yeah, I was really. like at home and like, wasn't sure if I wanted to make the trek all the way up to the hospital for special surgery because my joints were hurting me. He looked at me and be like, yeah, I can get you in if you. Oh, wow. You know, like, and so to be able to find someone like that, I knew was like a gift. But thankfully, he had trained somebody. Oh, good. Um, And I had built a relationship with her. um, And then she left and I just moved with her um, to the new practice that she was in. But not covered by insurance. So there's like that whole where you have to make these choices. And I think that's another burden that people with like invisible illnesses or just illnesses in mm. the health system deal with is like the cost of healthcare. Yeah. And the choices, also, the choices you have to make because of that. Make it work. Well, and I also think, I mean, for me, certainly when I got hit with autoimmune issues, mm, yep. um, it suddenly became this realization that like the most important thing I could put my money into was my health, but I had to figure out where that money was coming from, you know? Um, yeah. And I, I think I've had this discussion with a lot of people in this community um, because you do really have to make the choice and you have to make that perspective shift, don't you? Um, to really go, okay, I have to invest in myself. If I'm going to invest in anything, the best thing to do is to invest in myself. But I have to find a way to make that work. And it doesn't always work in our system the way it's designed. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's like another thing, like if I advocate my mom, like my mom has always just said, like, that's where you, like, if you, you don't not do something and my husband too, it's like, if you're told you have to get an endoscopy or you should get an endoscopy or you need to get something removed or whatever, you you just do it. Um, but like I still have a harder time making that. Like people around me have told me that, but me, it's like it doesn't. It doesn't roll. I mean, I do it. Yeah. But I would do it quicker for other people than I would do it for myself. Sure. And do you think that's something that is? I we always talk about the gender divide because I think mm-hmm. this is something that um, really does affect men and women differently in the sense that the sense of responsibility toward oneself is different with women. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you think being, especially being a mom, like that, that has an effect on your sense of responsibility toward yourself and your desire to take care of others first? I mean, it shouldn't. I mean, in sense that like my mom and everyone, and you just like, you hear it is that like, you can't be a good mom if you can't yeah. take good, take care of yourself. Um, and that's, you know, that's it's a truism that isn't just like something you should hang on your wall, but something that you should practice. However, when you have limited bandwidth and limited numbers of hours of day, and I'm running a business um, and my kids are in daycare full time and someone needs to get a flu shot and somebody else needs to go in for like 
a cough, right? And then I have to go get an eye doctor's appointment. There's only so many times I can take off from work. Mm. So many times I can go to a doctor, so many co-pays that need to be paid, right? So it's like that same kind of concept of like, I'll just push myself to the back. I'll just push myself to the back. Um, And even with healthy people, that's hard. Um, I think what happens with me or where it's more is that like the number of doctors and number of different touch points that I have are just amplified. Plaquenil, for instance, has this thing called retinal toxicity, right? So it's this great drug and it works for a lot of things, Mm. but there is this small chance that as the medicine builds up in your body, Mm. it can make you blind over time. It destroys your retina. Okay. Now the chances of it are really small. And with people that are older, it's not really a risk because like, okay, so you're going to start, if you start taking it in your fifties and by the time it builds up to your seventies and you start losing eyesight in your eighties, yes, people are living longer, but like, but that's really different from like somebody who now is diagnosed in their twenties. They're building up to toxicity by the time they're 50, 40 and lose vision. So I'm supposed to go every year and get a retinal screening. It's been three, almost three years. Okay. I went the other day, finally, right? Like (laughs) I made, like I I decided, I was like, I'm going to just knock out all these doctor's appointments. But that was like three days worth of all these doctor's appointments I had to knock out that I ended up feeling so guilty for and lost time for because (laughs) it's just like, it's not just the normal person has to do like, I had to do an endoscopy and an eye check and all of these things I know are necessary and I need mm. to know that I'm in the clear. Right. Um, but they're frustrating. And there's also like with these diseases, a lot of like uncertainty, right? Mm. Like they'll come back and they'll say like, yeah, this looks okay, but like we'll need to check back in a year. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. So it's like, great. More time at the doctors, more co-pays, more money, more time mm-hmm. that I don't mm-hmm. have. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, um, like you can, you get used to it, but like there's definitely that frustration mm. that builds up. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and has it ever turned into um, from frustration to sort of anger toward others because they're they're taking priority over you, or you've just always felt like they are the priority? Um, I've never been resentful for my loved ones. Sometimes I've been angered in general at the world, like, like that, like you just float through life unaware of the fact that like, what a burden this is. Like you're so lucky and you don't realize how lucky you are, but I've never been resentful to that because I'm just taking care of them the way they should be taken care of. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't think I'm doing anything above and beyond. I'm just taking, I'm just being a mom or I'm just supporting my husband. Um, I don't know. I think being a mom is pretty above and beyond. I think it's, <laughs> it's a very, I mean, it's a conscious decision that people have to make, especially when you only have so many spoons. Yeah. To, to go, okay, I'm now going to bring a life into this world and that life is my responsibility, you know? Yeah. Um, that's huge. It's a huge decision. It's a crazy decision whether or not you're a Spoonie. Then like add yourself like a Spoonie who also runs your own business. Company. Like, yes. 
like a high growth, like fast growth, multi-employee company, mm-hmm. then like add two children. Like it's bananas. Only crazy yeah. people do this. Um, <laughs> but I think that all of those things make me better at the other thing. That's a really great way of looking at it. Like it actually adds to your strength. I wasn't aware of how strong I was until I did all of these things. Yeah. Right? That you knew like, that you could keep taking them on. That I could. And that like in some ways I thrive. Like I, I sometimes need these different things. Like I need, like you said, things that you do for yourself, like to keep mm. yourself. I need to be intellectually stimulated. Sure. The more my mind is working in problem solving, mm. the sharper I feel. The more I am like with my children who are teaching me patience and teaching me joviality and um, like filling me with cuddles, like the the better I am at being a business person. Yeah. Right? My time management, for instance, um, while needing improvement, still... (laughs) It still it is more in line, right? Like working better as opposed to working longer. Um, yeah. And you know what your priorities are within that time management. Right. And then like, and then within my, within my disease and my spoons, like I have other people reminding me why it's important to take care yeah. of myself. Because when I reached that point, like I did last Friday or something, I was like, I can't take care of any of this. Mm. I don't like that feeling. No. But when that happens to you, who do you lean on? Do you lean on your husband? Yeah, I lean on my husband. Um, I lean a little bit on myself Mm. in those times. Sure. Because, you know, like like I said, like you've been through there. Um, You know, my mom, my sister, my husband's been really, really great with that. Um, Mm. In a way that like I didn't when I was looking for a partner. Yeah. I wouldn't have expected. And it's not like I was diagnosed when I, you know, like I I had been living with it, but it was something where in the times that I got sick, he was the one reminding me to take care of myself. He is like me in that we're always working on so many things at the same time. He's working even faster than I am many Mm -hmm. times. And so it's easy. It's tempting for me to try to keep up with him. And I think that's where the problem is, is that sometimes I can't and I feel guilty over that. I think when you ask like where the guilty or resentment comes, comes in, yeah. maybe in that, in the sense that like, I want to be able to, I feel like I should be able to mm-hmm. go yeah. nonstop. I feel like I should be able to not have to go to all of these doctors. I feel like I should be able to not have to take naps. Like, So it's a constant recalibration, not yeah, only and- physically, but also emotionally. Yeah. And like unnecessary competition. It's like competition that I set up for myself. Sure. Yeah. Um, but you have to keep reminding yourself and, and keep your, your sort of the lessons that you've learned in your heart. You have to remind yourself. Mm-hmm. And also just how it, how that fits in the, in the spectrum of things that so like, mm-hmm. um, like I said, like if, if I, if you can work really well, it yes. doesn't have to be until four o'clock in the morning. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's about Does being that make sense? with your time. Yeah. It's that working smarter, not harder. Right. And, but I feel that it's even more important for, for me or somebody who's living with a chronic illness or a chronic, um, or a disability is to yeah. really embrace that. Yeah. You know, like what you able to accomplish is enough 
and nobody else is judging it other than you. Like, yeah, you are your, you are your biggest critic. Now you've, you've talked a lot about, um, you know, you're balancing work and life. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you've had to justify your illness to other people who just didn't understand it? One was when I was in a study abroad program in college and living in Southern France and my roommate at the time, who was great, um, had both of her parents were doctors, I think, if I remember. And I remember her and I remember having to like take a nap or something. And I remember her saying like, my dad says that's not a real thing. A real thing? What, the mm-hmm. napping or or that you needed the nap because you have... No, the, like, I think it was like the connective tissue disease in general. It was like, some, like something to deal with my illness. And it was my... You sound so compassionate. Well, but I mean, here's the thing though, right? Is that, like, I, I kind of look at it this way. It's like, this, it's broken. Somewhere along the line is broken. Right. And we're still at a young enough age where like what your parents say you take and, you know, trying to find your own position of authority. And, you know, not that like we we should come from a position where like people are telling the truth, not people are lying. Um, But that to me was like very alarming and set a I think, oh, my gosh, are do people do people just by default think that like. I'm making this up. Yeah. And like, who would choose to make this up? Like what, what about like the rest of my personality or my character Mm. makes you think that like, this is not like an attention thing. Also like, there's a lot of other ways people would want to get attention. They're like, want to need to take a nap every day. Um, (laughs) So I think that that was one thing. And I I remember really struggling with it because I was, just kind of a child now thinking of myself then I mean like a child yeah um who was just coming to terms with it myself and not even quite sure it was real because it's not even a real thing according to doctors you know like um according to her father according to her father but also like according to the medical code there's a difference between sheer curiosity and then judgment yeah and there was too you know when when you're surely I'm willing to speak till I'm blue in the face with people who are truly curious, who are coming into an open mind, but people who are coming in already with judgment, um, unless they can lay that judgment out and acknowledge it, it's really hard to engage with around around an illness. Um, In terms of other justification, no, I think it's mostly No like discrimination in the workplace or anything like, because you've managed to push through. Right. No, I think the judgment has been self-imposed. Yeah. I think all of my judgment has been self-imposed. I mean, now I run a company with a lot of people below me and Mm -hmm. I wonder always, am I working hard enough? Am I doing enough? Am I um, delivering enough? Am I going to too many doctors? What are they thinking that I went to the doctor again today? Should I be telling them? Should I not be telling them? Is it better? I mean, and I run a company dedicated to reimagining chronic pain care, right? And I built built my team full of people and I've treated them and hope they would like feel comfortable to take care of themselves the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, more the discrimination. I mean, I felt faced a lot more discrimination after having a child than I did around my illness. Oh, wow. 
Wow. So that's for another day. That's for a different podcast. (laughs) Um, But tell me now, let's talk about Ouchie because your mission, um, creating the app and creating Upside Health, um, has come out of your own experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and in that sense is very heart centered. So tell us a little bit about the app and about what you're doing in development. Yeah. So as, as I mentioned in the beginning of the pod, um, I was really lucky when I was diagnosed, um, not just because my mom has lupus, but my stepbrother has cystic fibrosis and my stepbrother is a beast. I mean, he taught me even as as much as my mom, how to live with a chronic condition and not be controlled by it um, Mm -hmm. and how to do that. Right. And like, how do, how important self-care is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't listen to it as much as I should, but like, he is like the master of it. And Uh And maybe my mom is pretty good at it too. Um, They also taught me about being able to navigate complex health systems and how to become an advocate for yourself. Um, And also how to educate yourself around all of the variety of treatments that are available. Mm. Um, And then also to how to feel empowered. And then I thought, how do I scale this and scale this in a way that also could create more I'm just going to say more better patient clinician relationships. Because like I said, I was really lucky to have found this match, but it was because my provider was inherently attuned to patients living like me um, and was educated or was just like that. So how can I provide other clinicians the tools that are necessary for them to be like that given constraints of society that like things aren't reimbursed the same way. And, uh, and so I created, um, what we call a mobile companion for pain management and it's ouchie and is our mission to ensure that no one hurts alone. Mm. So really Uh, to create community where people may be lacking that. But no one hurts, no one, no one hurts alone and is more than just community, right? So you are, you, you have a care team that is ensuring that you're not hurting alone you are finding ways to maybe reduce how you are hurting mm. um, that you're connecting with others. And then through the application itself, you're getting rewarded for your daily accomplishments. Mm. Yeah. I've got a, I've recommended the app to a few friends and I know some of them have really enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I mean, getting a gold star kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Or actual prizes. I mean, we send out like wellness packs and Amazon gift cards and real things so that you know that you have like a, a cheer team mm. um, behind you. And until you find a place or even after you find a place where you feel good, there's going to be bad days and you're not alone on those bad days and that support can come from an app and a community, or it can yeah. come from the two of those things together, or it can come from you seeing how far you've come, yeah. um, or seeing what's worked for you in the past and feeling confident in returning in it to it. Yeah. And, and I imagine so much of your own experience also informed the design of the app and the ways in which you offer management uh, skills to yeah. the users. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is myself is self experience. A lot of it is just based off of like evidence-backed research on the power of cognitive behavioral therapy and refocusing. So we ask a lot of questions every time you update, like, what are you most proud of today? What's a kind act that someone did for you? What's a kind act you did for somebody else? Um, Mm. How can we support you? What's one new thing you're going to try um, to improve your self-care? 
Um, yeah. To really put the focus on what is possible, what you've been able to do, and kind of stick away from the unknown. It's just such a lovely mission that you have, and it's so wonderful that you're giving back. You know, you're someone who's gone through um, hell with your body, you know, and decided, well, I'm going to do something with that instead of just sitting on it. Um, I think shout so out, many of us, shout out, yeah. shout out. It's, it's also, it's free. It works on right. iOS, Android and tablet, and it's also compatible to screen readers. So if you're listening and have some vision impairment or difficulty, that's amazing. Wow. That's really smart. So this is the thing is like, so, so many of us, I find in this community, um, we, we get to a point psychologically where we're like, I can't just be sick. Like there has to be a reason why um, I've had these symptoms and I have this illness. And I think a lot of us end up, I mean, it's like a lot of integrative and functional medicine doctors end up in that field because they've been sick themselves. You know, so many of us, I think, really want to share in that community and um, be able to contribute productively um, so that those of us who've had to experience a learning curve can pass on our knowledge. And I think it's mm. wonderful that, that um, you're doing that and, and hopefully more people will hear about the app um, because of this. Um, you did mention uh, your brother earlier, your stepbrother, yeah. um, and how he's taught you so many lessons. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious to know um, whether you've ever felt between your mother and your stepbrother that you've had to sort of adjust the way that you're living your life to help take care of them as well. Cause you're not only someone who suffers from chronic invisible illness, but you are also a loved one of people who do as well. So um, how has that impacted your, your relationships with them? My childhood, my mom was a lot sicker when I was younger than she okay. is today. Um, so like a lot of chemo, a lot of IVIG. Um, she have cancer as well. No, they treat uh, lupus with chemo a lot of times. Wow, that I've never heard. That's a wow. Yeah. So, um, so it was less me taking care of her, um, more of me just adjusting to a different childhood than yeah. many others. Um, and she never like it was never like she never missed anything. Like I don't know how she was always at like everything that was important to me. She like used to like way to the bus stop with us every morning. It was just like this acknowledgement that like sometimes if my grandparents were at the bus stop, it meant that my mom had to go to the hospital. Right. Right. Which is like not something you're normal, obviously. Right. It was my, it was scary, but it was my normal. But like, and um, there was a lot of like stepping up to help take care of my little sister. Sure. Right. Or like doing things like that. Um, But it didn't, it didn't feel different, which just gave me like at a very young age, like a great knowledge of like the health system. <laughs> like I yeah. didn't realize how well I knew like what happens when you get a blood draw mm-hmm. um, or like how you treat kidney stones. Like I was yeah. like, by the time I was like ready for high school, I w- or out of high school, I felt like I was already like halfway on my way to becoming an MD. Just like my sheer knowledge of, yeah between like having a stepbrother in the house with cystic fibrosis and a mom with lupus. Um, mm. I and just, your own issues. And my own issues. Um, yeah. Like I was like, Oh, this is what a prep is. And like, this is why, you know, these are some, this is how you deal with like chemo after effects. Mm-hmm. And people be like, are you a nurse? Are you a doctor? <laughs> oh, 
Yes. No, I just live in this family. Um, But it wasn't, it was a a strength more so than anything else. Uh, I do love that perspective because we keep coming back to that, you know, all of, in all of this discussion, everything comes back to for you, it seems, you know, sort of embracing these chronic conditions as like superpowers, like that they are the thing that makes you stronger and the thing worth being stronger for. Um, And I think that's a really beautiful perspective to have. And I don't think, I think it's, you have to be in the right place mentally to find that there are a lot of people who they get sick or they feel really sick and they go down the hole you know? Um, so. Well, and it's not always like that. I mean, I feel, and I feel like I, I, chronic pain is so universal for so many people. Sometimes I feel like, like I said, like I can't represent because I don't know what it's, I don't know what it's like like for everyone. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I had a debilitating migraine on Friday and I thought there are people who live with this every single day. And how can I possibly speak for them on my app? Like, am I doing them justice? Am I providing any sort of relief? Um, but that kind of empathy is not universal either. <laughs> so yeah, but it, but it, like you can give yourself some credit too for having compassion for others. And, yeah. Uh, well, and that's, you know, that, that's my superpower, if anything, is yeah. just is using empathy to drive my decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I, I find that, that's like a challenge that I have is that like when you say it's a superpower, it's like, yeah, not quite. Like I, I feel like so many people have more superpowers than I do, but mm-hmm. I, I do like to tell my kids when they get vaccines, but like whenever they get like, or any sort of thing, I'm, I tell them they've got superpowers because really that's what really they've wonderful. been, right? Like a measles vaccine is a superpower. <laughs> no, they, they, they have given their body the ability yeah. to fight off something that years ago people would have died from. That's, a, uh, that's amazing. That's an amazing way to look at it. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, do you want to go get your superpowers? Um, so You're for me, to like wonder women. <laughs> yes. So, but the, to, to, to say that I have superpowers over something like, like this, maybe not, but I think that I, um, I feel like I have I feel like I have to, I feel like I have to keep moving forward is because I see, I think the other thing too, is I've seen the impact that our app has had on people already. Mm. Um, and it's, and it is using this tone, right? This tone of support, this tone of moving forward, this tone of not ignoring the fact that there's going to be bad days, but just moving through them. Okay. It's okay to be fucking angry and it's okay to have like a fucking bad day or to be like, just beyond frustrated and like acknowledge that. And, and then not saying like, and then move on to the next thing. Cause like, that's not correct. But that like, but there will be a next day and that there is opportunity in the next day for it to be slightly different. Um, and the other thing that this, um, this job has taught me and why I'm grateful that I started it is it's made me really hopeful. Um, because, you know, there are so many patients who have seen doctors, like I said, who don't believe them or feel like there's nothing being done. 
Yeah. Like they are stuck in this forever. And I go to these conferences, these research conferences, and the findings that they are coming out with are just mind boggling and exciting and enticing. And I think like there are thousands of people, there should be more, right? And there should be, but like making small little discoveries about things that could work or have, could have huge implications. And so if we keep pushing and we keep waiting and we keep, um, you know, like there will be change and there will be something better. Um, but then there's also a lot of people, like when I tell them what we're doing, they're like, could I have that for my patient? Like mm. there are great doctors out there. There are great nurses. Um, it's just about finding the right fit for you. Um, and like I said, having some compassion and hoping the compassion will be returned. Like there are a lot of them are so handcuffed for time and for resources and for like actually what is covered and what they can give you and not like offering you a suggestion for something that you're never going to be able to afford to like summarize. It's given me a ton of hope. Yeah. Um, A hope for patients, a hope for, um, the future of chronic pain. So when, and when you're driven by that much hope, when you're driven by yeah. that much hope and you're driven by people who um, say that what you're doing is making an impact, you, you keep on doing yeah. it and you push yourself a little too hard sometimes. And then you remind yourself, wait, no, I'm doing this for people like me. I do need to take care of myself. <laughs> and then yeah. you move in circles. Yeah. Well, Rachel, this is, you've given us so much wonderful information. Um, and I'm so amazed at what you do. I think it's just so admirable. Um, and I, I like to, everyone knows at this point, I like to wrap up the episode with a few top three lists. Well, I wanted to know what your top three tips would be for someone who suspects they may have something off and and may be dealing with invisible chronic illness. What would you say to them aside from download ouchie if you have chronic pain <laughs> well if you suspect something you can download the app and start tracking um Fantastic. so what you can track is like your pain your mood your sleep your medications we're adding weather and all those things soon so you can see if there's any trends um to what you're experiencing and then when you eventually do go to the doctor you'll have this record so you're not I trying to blindly remember Mm. Um, but not just to plug my product. So obviously, I guess, <laughs> um, I guess it really depends on, um, what type of illness it is. So it's like, I would say like, find the appropriate doctor, um, go to this, the specialist or, um, and make sure you feel really comfortable with him or her, um, and the tests that are coming back, make sure you get a copy of the lab results for yourself. Absolutely. So you can go on to like a patient portal and just make sure you have them that way if you ever want to get a second opinion or even if you want to become educated yourself about like what are the tests that were given to me, um, what could they mean, not necessarily like going down like a Google rabbit hole because that's also super dangerous, Um, but getting some sort of cognizance, even speaking like taking that and finding a friend of yours that's a doctor and say like explain to me in non-medical speak in English, not in like a three minute office visit, what this means. Um, great doctors I think are ones that always like do the things examine and then bring you back to their office to talk. Yes. Agreed. Um, so you're or or take more than the allotted because I think a lot of doctors, um, have something like maybe 
five to four, eight to eight minutes, minutes per patient. Minutes, yeah. Is it 15 minutes? So it's 15 minutes per patient, which, you know, for some of us, there's more complex things going on and it's not yeah. a, an annual physical. So being able to step away and then come back and, and really, you know, the doctors who spend the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think, so that would be one. And then, I, so the kind of, but also don't Google, don't Google, don't Google. Yeah. Talk to other people who have experienced it and people in real life too. Like I wouldn't just, because if you go onto a forum that's not moderated and you don't know how old it is. Um, and then the third thing would be um, set treatment goals for yourself. Mm. So when what you- that, What does that look like more specifically? So particularly if you've just been diagnosed with a chronic condition- don't set the goal necessarily for it to go away, right? For the disease to go away, it's just not realistic. And more, it might it might be, but like, set a goal of like, what are some of your biggest problems that it's been causing for you? What are some things, maybe physical limitations that you'd like to go away, like, or you want to be able to exercise again? Yeah, or you want to. Um, you want to be able to take a cooking class or you want to, I don't what whatever it may be, you want to take less medication. Maybe that's your goal is take less medication. Mm-hmm. Um, set them and it'll be, um, then you'll know what you're going into. You can map backwards. Pro- progress, yeah. Yeah. Your progress will be tied to specific things. And then if you do those things and you don't still feel like you're feeling any better, you're like, Oh wait, but it doesn't matter if I'm not feeling better. I'm doing things that I wasn't able to do before. Because mm. we get so used to like a certain pain level in our mind or a certain like then when we focus on that, that's all we can focus on. So um I think that that's really important. I love those tips. I think that's really wonderful. Um and I know that you you're aware of certain adjustments you need to make, like if you eat a certain thing and you feel off or if you push yourself too hard in a certain Mm -hmm. way and, you know, you need to, um, recalibrate. Um, do you have any like guilty pleasures or secret indulgences or even comfort activities, um, that you go to when you have a flare up? What would your top three be in in that category? Okay. So I know it's very broad. (laughs) So my top three are one, I watch really bad game shows, like old <laughs> game shows, like, like, uh, to tell the truth or Steve Harvey family, yes. for celebrity family feud, because yes. they require zero brain power. Um, mm. but they are like very distracting. And if they, if they are using a brain power, they're using a part of my brain that isn't circulating. So a lot of times when I'm in a flare, my mind is like thinking about like how bad it's going to get or like, yeah is this escalating into something else that it's never happened before? And you get into Uh, a spiral. Yeah. And um, rather than really just focusing on that. Um, Mm -hmm. So like if I'm going to be sitting in bed and I'm like not having a great day or a great night is seriously like- some family feud. (laughs) No, but it's really, it's good because it's like, there's absolutely nothing, there's no no anxiety. You just focus, it really causes you to focus. And there's like, some cheap laughs, mm, but sure. like no emotional storyline, which yeah. is good. Um, so that's one. 
Mm-hmm. Um, two, I try to get a therapeutic massage. I suppose yeah, on a massage. Um, and I should be doing them more. Um, for me, like other types of adjustments and stuff don't work. They have like a counter effect, but I know that this can provide me with some joint relief. Um, and when, you, when you talk about therapeutic massage, are you going to like a spa or are you going to a physical therapist's office where there's a masseuse who is more attuned to sort of specific bodily conditions? It depends. So I'm just trying to find my right person. It's if it's a spa, it's like I ask for someone that has experience with like medical tradition or like trigger point therapy. Mm. Um, sometimes I'll go to like a cheap place in Chinatown. Yep, where they do like qigong. Yeah, and like pressure point therapy, but that kind of thing works really well on me. Mm. Um, and so I'll, I don't really care where, although I'd love to be able to find someplace regularly. So I'm doing it proactively instead of reactively. Sure. Um, but that, um, that I do. Um, and then I do try to become more cognizant of what I'm eating. The only, and see if like there's something that's triggering it. But a lot of times if I'm having a flare, I'm having like stomach stuff too, where I'm not like that hungry. So I just make sure that I'm eating whatever I'm eating. Um, cause a lot of times for me, I tend to like, and you can kind of see right now, like I'll lose weight. Um, well, you're, you're pretty petite to begin with. So no, but like, I like it's just like, that's one of the signs that I'm having a flare a lot of times. Uh-huh. Um, and so I just like be like, all right, you know what? Just eat crap. Like, just make sure that you're filling your body because you can't fight against right. anything. Um, but that's really unique to me. Um, and then sometimes I make sure I'm setting up a therapy appointment. Yeah. <laughs> therapy, I'm a big believer. Take yeah. care of the mind and the body because they yeah. really go together. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's great. Those are, oh, and, I think those oh, are great. Oh, and yeah. I will give my, this is not top three, but like I really allow, I, I normally will take like, if I'm starting to feel a flare, come on or like I'm in the middle of one, I will take a full day and sleep. It's really hard. Yeah. It's so hard, but it's like the difference. I mean, I I might wake up feeling even worse than I did before. Like, which happens a lot. I don't know if you've ever had that, but like in your sleep. Yeah, it's that sleep hangover. But, but it'll make a huge difference a couple of days later. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rachel, I can't thank you enough. This has been such yeah. a great chat. Yes. And um, I'm so glad that we've been able to talk about what's going on with you. It's amazing because for those who don't know, I've known Rachel for years and didn't really know about this until I we, we started talking about it recently because yeah. I started the podcast and she's doing the app. And so it's just great to not only get to know you better, but also to, you know, facilitate the sharing of your story. Um, Just like, that is what's crazy about invisible illnesses um, is that, and I, I like the name and I don't a little bit um, because it, for some reason, the part is the part I struggle with actually. Oh yes. Not so much, but yeah, but for some reason I feel like people think invisible illness is so much smaller than it is, but it's so big. Like, and so I, I think that like, well, first of all, like for years, I didn't even realize that there was like other people that are going through this yeah. and no one knew. And, and I wondered like, is it, 
is it better or is it worse? Right. Like the second you like identify with other people, but it is really nice to know, like have these conversations about the challenges of co-pays and like these decisions you have to make and that you're not alone. And that like, it's, you struggle with the same things about like, do I take disability or can I stop working? Like, I think that that support, especially among people who would normally think like, how am I having these conversations at this age? I mean, there's users on our app who are like, my doctor thinks I'm too young to apply for disability, but like, I don't know how I can How can you work to live if you can't work? Exactly. Yeah. I, but I can't work anymore. My body. And so like to be able to connect with other people like that, especially not only say like, especially when you're young, cause you run into this at all ages, but like mm. in especially isolating. So, and it shows how important community is when, yep. when you are hurting, whether it's psychological or physical or a combination of both. Again, thank you so much. I'm so glad to have had you on the show today. And um, I can't wait for everyone to hear your story. And uh, guys, get on that app. Check out Ouchie. It's free. So go look it up. O-U-C-H-I-E on the app store. All right. Thanks so much, Rachel. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.